Welcome to We Only Talk Hockey. I'm Mike. Joining me as always is my pal Shane from on the other side. And we are basically concluding the second round slash uh, in the midst of a few series. But let's begin with some of the series that have concluded. And the first one concluded today. We're recording. It is Tuesday or it's, it's past midnight. We just have the Avalanche game. Avalanche Vegas Golden Knights game just concluded. So let's start with the series that just concluded in the uh, Hurricanes and the Lightning. And I think, I mean, let's start with game five because I think game five kind of left us with an interesting take on the game, on the game and the series. And my big thing watching this game was one, Tampa's defense slash Andre Vasilevsky, but two, the Hurricanes offense. And I kind of want to know, where you like because I think I mean Vasilevsky had an incredible shutout game you have to credit him for a shutout performance by all means very good performance but what the Hurricanes did offensively where do you think they they struggled in this game where do you think they fell apart in game five particularly a game that I think they really needed to come out firing in and needed to win handily to keep their season alive and they just fell flat where do you think their offense I guess struggled in this game so, honestly, I'm, I don't really – at the beginning of the game, like the very beginning, the first 10-odd minutes, I don't think it was terrible. Uh, yeah. Shot changes both ways were pretty even. It seemed pretty even. And right around 10 minutes in, they kind of fell flat. Um, I don't, I, I'm not quite sure how or why what happened, but there was a marked, like, change – and yeah, they had spikes of better and whatever, but from that point on, it looked to me at least mostly like it was like, I don't, it's hard for me to describe. It, it looked very one-sided after the first yeah. 10 minutes or so, uh, albeit for a couple points in the beginning of the third where you thought mate, they, they were responding well for the first couple minutes of the third and maybe they could pull something out there because at that point it was still one nothing but overall goal i guess yeah and then essentially once the second goal they started declining the second goal happened and it seemed like at that point it was over um yeah so i i agree on that yeah uh i don't i don't know if you you have more like points on that but uh one interesting thing that i think stood out is kind of a an essentially a recap of the entire series is that Tampa plays a one-three-one essentially defensively, and they kind of and Carolina adjusted to that in the middle of the series. But what was interesting is is that in this game, in this game particularly, they knew they were going to get a lot of shot. They could get a lot of shots on net, but they were going to come from tough angles. The part that stood out to me is they didn't get those second chance shots which I think is partially you could credit to Vasilevsky covering up on a lot of those shots, but they weren't shooting to the pads on the lower half of the net. I think that was where they could have taken advantage is if they on the, um, on the boards, along the boards, they were getting those opportunities where they could just fire lower half shots to try to get second, get those rebounds on net off Vasilevsky who the, those has that cross ice, Those Christ, yeah. cross ice rebounds, which, are often good if they bounce yeah. off the right angle, they can go out to either the front of the net or the opposite end of the net. I, I agree. I, I think 
games uh, three and four, I thought they played well. They lost game yeah. four, but I thought they played really well in game four. And so my thought going into this was they'd play more like that and we'd see a much, you know, we'd see a little bit of a higher scoring game. And honestly, to me, that's a credit to Vasilevsky. He did very good on uh, rebound control tonight. Um, so he did a very, very good overall. And so I think we pointed this out last week a little bit was those first two games, game one and game two, those two one games were kind of, at least to me, a little bit anomalous in, in the way the games were played. And I think that, um, but games three and four were closer to what I expected this series to be where Vasilevsky, he's got issues with certain things. And while he's great, you know, like he can have a great night like this, but they're also whatever. I think those first two games going their way um, in that manner of, of the game, uh, one games, basically two one game. Yeah. Very low scoring, but also in the way they played, they, the hurricanes, I don't know if is I they didn't adjust well at first. They weren't expecting whatever. They so their I mean, offense was a little on, lackluster on early. That note, just, just to like fill in quickly, I think what's interesting is that in this series, the first two games particularly, they weren't executing those cross ice passes, something Carolina does very well this season. And I think to to pivot which is what they did in games three and four. They started aggressively firing more pucks on Vasilevsky and testing him to rebound. And I think, I think it's interesting in this series, looking back, is the Vasilevsky, his weakness, I think, in this series was those rebounds where he couldn't react in time for those, those second chance shots. His weakness in general that I've pointed out, I think, is, is the rebounds, is his he has a slightly, and it might only be fractions of a second, but in hockey and that close and tight yeah. to the net, that's a big deal. His reaction time is a little bit slower. He's a very big goalie. And so there's that. And one other point, like, like I was just adding on the first two games, if this series had started at game three, if they had come out playing like they played in game three and game four, I think they would have eventually pulled out this series because of the because of the fact that yes he had a great night tonight but do you expect him to have four of those he, is is my thought processed so like um i don't think they have in the grand scheme of things i think carolina doesn't have like i've seen some people already like before game 5 before the game tonight in game 5 there were already people talking about does carolina need to shake some stuff up is they do they have some issue or whatever I don't think they do. I think it was, they yeah. took a little too long to adjust and they have a very young goaltender that cost them game two. I think, I think goaltending, we, I think talking about the Panthers, I mean, the hurricanes in a second. Do you, I mean, really quickly, do you think game four took the air out of that team where they allowed three goals? And I think the span of like three minutes or four minutes late in the second period to essentially lose the game there. Do you think that, game took the era and then game five it just felt like they couldn't restore that life that they had in games three and four offensively that's the first question yeah so okay so yeah to answer that to answer that um partially partially um i think it's a point i think it's whatever i think anytime something like that happens it's crushing um 
if it happened at a different time, at a different point in the series where they had more time to rebound, but what he did was put him down three, one. And so I think those two things expounded on each other where they're like, we played so well, they played so well that game. They were winning. What, what was it? Four, one or four, two, four, two or something. And no, it was four, one because they scored three in the second afterward, I believe. Or was it no, two they, well, they the... scored three in the second to make it a five to four game, and then they scored a sixth in the third to uh, yeah. win, to win the game. Yeah, but it was three three back to back. So at a point, it was four one. No, I think no, it was like no. Two, you're, two right. Point. you're right. You're right. Yeah. You're right. You're um, right. I mean, you bring but, a, you bring but, up a good yes. point that it was it was that it it was uh, their game, and yeah. it, and that's what that goes to what I was saying about their goaltender. He let him down in game two. Their defense in game two played outstanding, held them to 14 shots, and they lost. Uh, a team like Carolina should never lose if the opposing team only shoots 14 times. It should not happen. And I think he let him down in that second period in game four. And I do agree. Going down 3-1 in the series, well, having it I mean, compounds. It is, it is interesting you mentioned goaltending because they switched from Nedeljkovic to Mrazek for games three and four. And then they went back to Nadelkovic for game five. I think basically saying when you allow six goals in a game, when you're Morazic, you don't, you're not going to start game five. I don't. Nadelkovic did not play poorly tonight. Yeah. Yes, he, it was 23 to 25, but normally for Carolina, that's good enough. You, you know what I mean? Normally, that was what I was saying about game one. Normally for Carolina, if you they held their opponent to two goals, they win. That that's your expectation from Carolina. And, and so, yeah, I just, I think they need, I don't know if it's Nadelkovic. I messed messed it up once. (laughs) Nadelkovic. He played bad in game two, whatever happens. Rookie goaltender. I think he played pretty well tonight. Is it a matter of, Will they come back next year and Nadelkovic is better having in his sophomore year? I, I don't know if you can really call this his rookie year, but essentially his first year of regular play and um, and come back next year with more experience, more whatever, more coaching, more consistent coaching as opposed to you're the backup, you're whatever, not as much, and play better and will it be better for them then? Um, because I do think that that game, like you said, the game five, it played on them emotionally. Like they came your game four, they came out in game five, really strong. Like at the start, I was like, oh, okay. This looks like Carolina might take this game. Um, and then it fell off a cliff. And I don't know if it was just not being able to score an only early goal kind of took the air out of them a little bit, but it was also the, after a power plays when they started going downhill in that first period. Yeah. So I actually think it was interesting. You mentioned the power play. Cause when I think about the series and I think about like overall, the Stanley cup playoffs, you're going to hear me mention the power play a lot in, in this recording, just cause I think it's like, it's, it's a prominent part of Stanley cup playoff hockey where you need those goals. The lightning have scored 15 state power play goals in the first two rounds. I it's, it's hard to think about the series without thinking about how effective they've been on the power play in this series and in the last series. And that's also something that really played to their advantage in the, in, in this, in the way the series turned out is that they didn't really get as many opportunities or find as many scoring chances 
partially because the Carolina, the Hurricanes defense in the neutral zone played very effectively and didn't give them a lot of chances. So, but when they got those power play advantages, they were able to move the puck into the offensive zone, control the play, and then score like the fifth, not or, 15 goals in this series, but overall control the series. Or, and, that's where- and I think another point to that is they played very well throughout the two series, the couple minutes after. So um, even if they wouldn't score on a power play, it gave them a bit of momentum where maybe they were already in the, in the Carolina zone or Florida this years before when the power play ended and they were able to sustain pressure for time. And I, and so I think though that, that was a big part. Power play is always going to be a big part of playoff ho- hockey in general, but especially playoff hockey where you get those opportunities is huge. Um, so and I just and I think Carolina's uh, power play was it was okay this series. Um, yeah. It just it was not as good as it could have been. I think I think it's interesting because when I think about this, I think about the series in two ways. I think about like the Hurricanes' offense falling flat in those few games, which I think you could partially credit to Vasilevsky stepping up when they needed him to. But especially I also in about, Game Five. Yeah, and then I also think on the other end of the ice is. The, how the lightning were able to find goals their offense doesn't didn't look necessarily better in the right not necessarily better in the regular season i don't think better in the regular season we'd say or better in this series per yeah. se even most but, of this series looking at it like especially yeah. especially games two three and four um game one was whatever but games two three and four really for the most part of those games looked like carolina was controlling them but Tampa would get a chance and they'd capitalize yeah. on them. Um, think- they had the shots don't necessarily reflect that in most games outside of game two, but I think a lot of their shots throughout the series were kind of low percentage chance shots that really didn't matter. But when they got scoring opportunities, they scored. Well, I mean, the power play was one way. I think the other thing in this game, I guess the recent game, we kind of look back to it and say, say it similarly uh, where the lightning created a turnover in the neutral zone and then just got a puck past um, Nadalkovich. It was kind of a shot that Nadalkovich wants back because it was at the glove side. And uh, I think it was Ross Colton who just kind of just took a quick shot, a quick hitter at him. And, but it's those, it's those chances that they get those few chances that they get that they really take advantage of. And it's going to be interesting to see, who they who they play moving forward for how the other team adjusts to their play style and to their especially to their power play, which I think is a very important part. We're going to probably get into the a few so, other teams moving so forward. So another thing is just a little bit looking forward. They uh, either play Boston or the Islanders, um, yeah. but if whoever that is, if they make it to the Cup versus whoever that is, the goalies left on the other side that they would have to face in the in the in the cup, if they were to make it are better <laughs> than Nadelkovich. I mean, I, I think it will be, I think it'll be harder for them to capitalize on those short opportunities because I think the goaltending for the other teams will step up more on those opportunities. One of the things that I've been thinking about, this is kind of off topic a bit, but is that there are very few world-class goaltenders. There are like four or three in the world every like decade there's like three or four that like are the world-class goaltenders of the decade carrie price is one of them and then you have mark andre Fleury. 
I don't know if I don't know if Fleury necessarily, but he's having these Vesna caliber seasons. He See, is I, a- I would I would put him in there. Um, even though for years I was not a fan of his, but that was a personal thing, not I mean, a player thing. Um, I don't know. He's he he recently has really become a world. I guess you could say recently he's become a world class goaltender. I think Vasilevsky, I would put him in that category. See, not many people would. I would put Flurry above Vasilevsky by leaps and bounds. Um, I don't know. Because, I mean, I because I think his weakness is more evident than Flurry's weakness. Um, and that's how I calibrate it. Um, is he has these Vesna years also, Vasilevsky, like this year, but his weakness for teams that are capable of capitalizing on it have last year, they won the cup. The years prior, it always came, seemed like it came down to a team was able to capitalize on Vasilevsky's weakness. And I think it's not as prevalent with flurry. That's ultimately, I think what's going to come down to with the lightning is who can, who can test flurry most effectively in the sense who is going to get, I think I think the big thing is keeping your shots. Lo- I think a couple of goaltenders have actually exposed the opposite weakness, where if you shoot top shelf on them, they can they expose the yeah. glove, a weak but, glove or a weak. Stu- with Vasilevsky, if you sh- if you, which teams can get those lower shots that you have to kind of saucer because you can't get it on the ice or it's going to be too slow a shot. You got to saucer it, but you got to keep it on lower half to get those second chances. I think that's going to be a very important factor moving forward. It is an, it's a weakness but it's hard to exploit. And I think a team it that is, can do that's it why time. if it was easy to exploit, he would not have seasons yeah. like this where he had a, as in trouble. But when you get to the playoffs, you run into those teams that over a seven game period can exploit it. Um, I don't know if anyone can out of the Bruins or the Islanders, but I mean, it will be, I mean, I, I kind of have an interesting thought on that, but we'll get, but to, that we'll get to that when we get to that. Um, yeah, I guess, right. Yeah, we're going to shift into the next series that kind of concluded, which shocked both of us. I think it's safe to say yeah, none of us, yeah. even none if, of us were expecting the Canadians to win and none of us were expecting them to sweep. They just so like handle. I, th- I, th- I thought there was a small chance just because of the play styles and how they showed up against um, against Toronto, especially towards the end. That's back half of that Toronto series. They had yeah. it. They like controlled it. Um and so, and Toronto had a much better offense. And without that, even though the Jets' offense is okay and is pretty good, you're playing Carey Price. And Carey Price is playing amazing this this uh, this playoffs. And so they can keep the games close and score when they need to. Oper- they've been very opportune scorers um, this playoffs. But man, even if I thought they were going to win, which I didn't, yeah. but even if I saw a possibility of it in no way, shape or form, did I think it would come in the form of a sweep right after the Jets swept Edmonton um, is interesting because the Canadians are a team that aren't necessarily better than the Jets or the Maple Leafs but they match up very well with them. And I think they match, they give any team a tough matchup. And I think the way they Vegas play or Colorado wins, they'll give them a tough series just because they match up. I thought they would give the Jets a tough series. I didn't think they'd, I didn't think they'd, they'd sweep them like this. So what do you think? What do you think made this such a dominant series for the Montreal Canadiens? Like how are they able, they never trailed at any point in the yeah, series, which is, just not, which is, yeah, which is crazy. The never trailing, I think is the biggest point here. Um, it's easier for teams when you're not trailing. It just um, not teams. It's easier for goalies when you're not trailing. Um, there's less pressure. Um, 
veteran goalies have talked about it a lot of times. It's much easier to play, not trailing. Granted, some goalies play amazing when trailing, but over a course of a series, it is overall, they might play great when trailing, but that wears on a goalie and not having to trail. There's a little bit, there's less tension. There's less whatever for the goalie and it keeps them better for the next game and the next game and whatever. And the fact that once that first game ended uh, five, three, uh, the Canadians, once they got those three goals early on, um, it was, it was very hard for the jets to come back because uh, price could just be cautious, be, you know, he didn't have to be aggressive. He didn't need to, they weren't hunting for goals. And so even though they gave up two in the last period in that game, it was, it was in their favor. And then the rest of the games kind of looked, you know, games, game two was a close game. Canadians eventually got the goal. And then game three, three, four, uh, three was just, they killed them. They killed them. Um, and then, and then game, game four, four was the OT game. game four was the OT game. And that one was tough. If they had lost that game, I think it would have made a little bit of like, if they had lost that game, I think they might've lost another one. But by the time we got to game four, I thought they were winning the series. Um, so yeah, I mean, they might've, they might've lost one game, but it's hard seeing them losing four in a row. I think it's interesting. You mentioned, you mentioned the goaltending. I think the first thing is, Clearly, at Carey Price is is a world class goaltender. He's playing at a at his best, even level. though he's even though he's older, uh, much yeah. older at this think, point. He he's the kind of goalie that if your team can get him into the playoffs at this stage in his career, he can kick on the that like he can flip that switch yeah. and be like, I, I'm older, so the season I'm not as great because I'm saving it almost. And they well, got into the playoffs, of, and it's like they kind of spot started him a lot of times with Jake Allen, as in they they didn't they didn't always start him. They 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 didn't want to burn him out. Yeah, and I think it's interesting because I think Carey Price is the is the first thing everyone's going to mention. Everyone's going to mention how dominant he's been playing. But also, Hellia Buck had a much worse series than last series. Well, yeah, I think I think that's part of it. So. I think there's a few things that also you have we have to credit the Canadians for doing. I think for the first part of their their defense, which helped help Price out a bit. Yeah. The other interesting things in this series, though, that I that I saw were the matchups that they took advantage of, especially on the offensive end of the ice, and the pace of the play that they kind of set in in place. Because I think we've discussed this before that the Winnipeg Jets play very fast offensively they like to they like to they like to rush get those rushes on the opposite well, on the turnovers they like to uh get those quick passes they like to basically move very quick they I like wouldn't say they the play game. I wouldn't say they see I agree with what you're saying but I don't agree with how you're like I don't think they play fast um I think they play slow and gritty with m- bursts almost. I think it's yeah. grind, have a shot burst here, grind kind of thing. Well, Cause they don't have much possession. They have l- lesser possession time. And I think they rely very heavily on their back end and, and the defensive capabilities of their, their forwards. And they, they grind games out. And when they get it, they, they get a break, they get a steal, they get a, you know, kind of thing. I guess to be clear, I think it's more 
on the defensive side of the ice, they grind it out. And with Hellebuck and Net, they kind of they they grind out these games. And then once they create those turnovers, you see those odd man rushes, but also in the offensive zone, you see a lot of puck movement, a lot of speed. And Montreal basically utilized that the entire series. I think for starters, they were able to retain the puck in the offensive zone with their defensive with their defensive pairings keeping the puck in the zone, and with the uh, and with the ability to just keep uh, keep on the forecheck and keep playing, uh, keep keep having possession. Basically, the other part was interesting is how they utilized them on those turnovers, basically where a turnover wouldn't seem so costly because they wouldn't be able to generate that attack. And then of course the, uh, on the final level and when the Canadians were defending on the defensive zone, the Canadian, the jets didn't, the jets weren't able to, the jets had to, the jets had to play a slower pace of the game and and they and they couldn't they couldn't adapt to it. They couldn't. It was it was just a tough matchup, the entire the entire series, and they could not they could not break through on that. And it's kind of like where I see this how this series kind of broke down as as badly as it did. Yeah. So for moving forward, we said this last time. So <laughs> what do, wait, where where, where did uh, we say this before? No, not not that. What I'm about to say. I'm just prefacing it. We said this last time and they proved us wrong, but I don't see the Canadians. I think they had great. I think this jet series, especially they had great matchups against them. Then Toronto, I think Toronto was more of a um, one line wonder almost like if you can, if you were able to limit um, Matthews and, Mitch Marner, that kind Marner, of Marner, yeah, apologize, I was blanking. If you can limit those two, and really that's essentially limiting Matthews, you limit their offensive capabilities. Um, and so they were able to eventually take uh, advantage of that later in the series over time as time went on and they tweaked and adjusted and whatever to really shut down those lines and the depth scoring for Toronto eventually as most depth scoring does, doesn't hold up in a seven game series. Um, so that one was more of, I think a much tougher thing. Like if you were to look at the matchups, I would have told you they have a better matchup against the jets, but Moving forward against either Colorado or Vegas, I think those teams have much more offensive depth than either of these other teams did. Um, Toronto had the higher ceiling than the Jets, but I think overall, I think both Colorado and Vegas just have a much better offense and offensive depth that even matchup-wise, I can't see it. Like, I think the big thing is is that after these past two series, I'm not going to say Montreal is no chance. I think they're going to give whoever they face a tough series. I think they're, they're I think go- just the way that Carey Price is playing. I agree with you, especially they're going to make it tougher to tougher to cre- to create odd man rushes, tougher to like. Tough- I mean, they're gonna make they're gonna slow. They're not only slow the game down, but like they're going to control possession more more often, and. It's a crazy stat. The Montreal Canadiens on short on the penalty kill are a plus one, which means that they've scored more goals. I think they've scored four goals on the penalty kill 
then they've allowed power play goals, which is three, which is insane, like to think about. And I mean, that's that's like kind of a stat. That that's an, like, a, but it's an anom. That's the yeah, kind of anomalous. So it's not going to hold up, especially especially against these two teams. Yeah, Wh- whichever team they face, that anomaly that that's not going to hold up. That's the kind of thing that's like awesome. It got you through that Toronto series, essentially. Um, yeah, and I mean, but, technically Winnipeg could not score in the power play, so it also yeah, got that, but, yes, yeah. but that that was just good penalty killing at not as much. I think most of their goals on the penalty kill came in the Toronto series. I think only one came in the Jet series, if I'm not mistaken. I think maybe one or two of them. I think two potentially, but uh, I would have to, I would have to like double check that. Uh, no, like yeah, I I mean it's going to be. I mean especially against these two teams. That they they would eventually face. I mean, it will it will be tough. It will be tougher to keep. I mean, that's like a style to keep up. But I think I think there are parts of their game that are going to hold up. I think I think something. I think it's easy to discredit some of the things like the young the young the young line that they put up of Jasperi, Ket Niemi, uh, Nick Suzuki, and Cole Caulfield. All three of those skaters are twenty one years old or younger. They those that line is is an only you call it an energy line if you will but that's just a line that like has started started to kind of integrate late in the season and we're seeing it peak at the right time for yeah. them and so, that's something that's gonna gonna cause problems for whoever whoever they play and also just i mean you look at the defensive pairings i mean jeff petrie didn't play game four but he'll be back for the he'll be back for the series and him, Joel Edmondson, they're just they're gonna make it tough. I mean, we're not gonna we can't really fully predict it, but I think it's it's going to it's going it's to not be gonna a be a sweep. I, I don't yeah. see it being a sweep. Um I, w- I would like to add one thing. So it actually was they scored two shorthanded goals in this in this series. Okay. One of them was inconsequential, it was like the fourth goal in the five one game. So the other one, however, was the only goal in the one nothing game which is huge. Yeah. But I, I would like to also add their power play has also been very good. It, it wasn't like both their special teams have been very good um, throughout the playoffs, which I, if you can have both your power play and penalty kill clicking in the playoffs, that's like, even if you're not getting those shorthanded goals, if your p- penalty kill is clicking and your power play is clicking, that's recipe for well, success. I mean, even if they're penalty kill allows two or three goals in their upcoming series you'll take that especially yeah. against these two teams that they're about to face. yeah so like i think uh, they'll break a little bit i think they'll lose that that plus on the shorthanded side but yeah. there's i don't expect their penalty kill to just fall off a cliff and them to give up eight out of ten or eight out of fifteen whatever it is yeah. power plays in the series and so and their power play I, either of these teams i don't see their power play as like outstanding which uh, either Co- Colorado be... Colorado and Vegas they well, they have good but I don't think either has outstanding penalty kill well, I actually think it's interesting because Colorado has been five for 16 on the I mean we're gonna get into them in a second in the, you're talking about power play or penalty kill really penalty kill I, I don't think okay. either team has a great penalty kill. They both have the ability to be amazing power plays, but I don't yeah. think they have, I don't think either team has a great penalty well, kill. So I don't see can- the Canadians 
power play production dropping off hugely. So I do agree with you. I think it's going to be a tight series. I think it'll probably be six yeah. games. Um, I don't I think necessarily... Vegas, Vegas has a, has a solid penalty kill in the sense they kind of, they, they kind yeah, of it's solid, but it's not great by any yeah. means. I mean, I think Alex Martinez is one of the more underrated defensemen, but I mean, we've mentioned that before. Uh, so I guess, I guess let's kind of like, we've been, we've mentioned like, with the Canadians playing the Avalanche or the Vegas Golden Knights, the game five just concluded, and Vegas basically the they took they took game five, they basically stole game five, and I kind of I kind of think of this game in a way of a bigger picture of what the series has been, and this is a game that it looks like it was Colorado's from for the majority. I think Vegas was playing Vegas had control the first period, and then they allowed that goal that was just an embarrassing yeah. goal for so, it's one who'd want back i think overall i think colorado controlled the first period and it looked like oh this is their game this is their series and then vegas just scores back-to-back goals in the span of i think a few minutes if not a minute and they just took the air out of the out of the arena the era and the air out of the series in a way that's how i saw it and so like, do you- so for me it was different um I, I personally saw this game kind of differently. Obviously, horrid goal. Flurry would like to go back. I honestly watching it, I don't know what he was doing. He didn't try to block it with his shoulder or his glove side. He had the position in the angle. He yeah. tried crossbody catching it with his mitt, which made no sense to me. I don't know only, what the I don't know what the, the thought process analogy. was. The only analogy is I think it was like a it's like in baseball a can of corn fly ball that you just loop that you just like you get overconfident and you just drop it yeah, and yeah. It, it felt like that which is like crazy for Flurry which yeah. I think we is one of the best in the trophy finalists is one of the best goalies in the game so and yeah and that's that's like the first part but yeah so go to on. Con- to continue but for the majority of the game excluding a like four minute period like four minute block of time at the end of the first which eventually ended in that weird goal i i think it was pretty even slightly tilted um vegas uh, way but from the second period on except for tiny small chunks of play it, it was vegas's game to me even though they ended up letting that goal in at the end of the toward the end of the second the the way of play and the look of play looked very much like the like they were playing like Vegas was playing very well under the pressure of a two nothing deficit they were playing very well under that one nothing pre- uh, deficit for most of the second period they didn't well, they didn't get flustered like a lot of teams get flustered and so I think it culminated in. They're a great offensive team. And if they keep themselves together and don't start being erratic and hyper aggressive more so and desperate, I think they, they have the chance to always come back. And that was shown. Um, honestly, this game nearly didn't go to overtime. Mark Stone had an amazing chance yeah, at the, at the end of finals. regulation. And then he ended up scoring like 50 seconds into overtime. And so for the majority of this game, I would probably say out of the 60 minutes of play, probably a good 45, 48 minutes, it was the ice was tilted. 
Vegas's way, not in a huge manner, not in like a, oh, this is totally Vegas's game. It'll, it's bound to break. No, but they had more control over the game. And given the team that well, they are, they eventually it's got their interesting goals. in that, in that sense, because I, the, the goal that the, the avalanche scored in late in the second period came after a series of basically the avalanche keeping the puck in the offensive zone and just bombarding shots on net and bombarding up and creating opportunities. And the entire, these, the second period had had these constant, this constant spurts, those constant spurts of the avalanche, keeping the puck in the offensive zone, keeping, keep continually getting shots on net. I don't, I don't necessarily, I wouldn't necessarily was the ice was tilted as much as the few, it's similar to the lightning where you see the few breaks that when the avalanche away, except the avalanche kept pressing in this game. I only really saw that in that second goal for the most part, I, I felt for the most part, I felt like, like, obviously there were spurts where they had it because they're both great teams. Like I said, it wasn't like a huge deficit where it was always in Colorado's end and then they got there, whatever. No, I and thought it was very score, close. It doesn't tell the full story. I think two, when, when I say, when we say it's two, nothing, it doesn't mean that it was like a blowout or it was basically an even game, except for those, well, that one. I think goal it was, I think it was back. an, I thought essentially it was a one, nothing game at the end of the second. I thought it was a zero, zero game up until the end of the second, ignoring that horrid goal. Uh, possession-wise, game-wise, the way the game feels, I felt like it was a pretty even game, slightly tilted Vegas, feels like Vegas is going to get their goal. Um, Then Colorado had a good stretch at the end of the second with sustained pressure, and they got the goal. And then the whole third period felt Vegas to me. Well, I mean, that's also interesting because they scored. I think that was the thing that's in, that the, it's interesting that they scored those two goals really quickly and then stole the game basically in the sense that they had the momentum and they had yeah. the, uh, they had at that point, it felt like the avalanche either need to catch a break or they just need a tire out Vegas, which neither happened. Yeah. They got I, the goals and then, and then we're like, okay, we're just going to chill a little. Like we can control well, it now. We don't need think, the goals. I think more accurately, it's easier to see throughout this series and really this game, particularly it's easier to see uh, Vegas retaining a lead over Colorado. Like for, for the avalanche, they can build up a lead, but it's harder to see them retaining that lead especially I, yeah. after this game than it is for Vegas. If they could, is a two goal lead for Vegas is, 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 is the a game over. story. Yeah. I think a this. two goal lead for Vegas, the game is almost almost over granted you still have great offensive talents on Colorado that can flip it. But if you were to tell me which one I would take with a two, nothing lead, I would take Vegas. Yeah. Um, and another point is all but game one, which was the seven one. I, I said anomaly Vegas, Colorado had been resting also, Vegas. Had Robin it. Leonard was in that. Robin yeah. Leonard. Um, every game besides that was very pretty even except for, you know, you had the game what was it game four yeah game four where uh vegas like we said they got a lead and they are very good at maintaining leads i think they and flurry is a very good goalie at keeping leads um and i just think that also comes down to flurry is a better goaltender than philip grubauer even though philip grubauer has had a great year flurry is a better goaltender and so i think game two is basically grubauer's 
top performance and then after that it's been not downhill well, not say. necessarily it's just, game, vegas is figuring out game, game three game three they also is a three two game game two and three were both three two games one flipped one way one flipped the other way and i i kind of see that as a lot of this a lot of this series i i assume game six will probably be another close to three two game probably each team had their blowout win game the seven one five one but that's the thing I have. And that's why originally going into this, I picked Vegas because I thought their offensive talent, while they didn't have as big of a name as, um, as Colorado, they had more depth offensively than Colorado. And they weren't like their depth wasn't, Oh, it's good depth. No, it was good players. They didn't have, they don't have the huge star. Mark stone is, but he's not to the level of Nathan McKinnon. They don't have the top line, but they have the backup. And they have they have the overall more offensive talent, and I think they have the better goalie. And so I think it's interesting. That's why I, I, I think called. I think the Avalanche have the scoring depth. The the, the interesting thing that's because ironically in the past game in this past game their their two goals came from their second and third pair third line, whereas the McKinnon Ranton and Landis Cog line has been basically quiet the past two games, maybe even the past and um, might, might even be the past three games. I, I mean, yeah, I'm looking back at this series, and I think there's a few things that Vegas has basically taken advantage of and controlled the series. I think the first thing is the power. We, we talked about, I'm going to, I said I was going to mention the power play again. The first thing is the Avalanche scored went five, five for 16, but in the past two and three games, Vegas has not given them the power play. They only had one power play in this past game, and they went 0 for 1 on it. I mean, and in the game before that, they only had, I think, two opportunities and went 0 for 2. They're, Vegas is They've been very, very controlled. Yeah, they've, they've been, been a very disciplined. Team. Yeah, and that's another thing. That's that's something that I think you see come out of teams that are more well-rounded. Well, well-coached, well obviously, but yeah. well-rounded almost. You see teams that have the big-name star Almost, you sometimes see them have be a little less controlled. Almost, I don't know what it is. It's just a weird thing that I've noticed. That like the Jets don't take a crap ton of penalties um, because it's just you see this. I, I at least the way I, I've seen it. But and so, but Vegas has been very controlled, especially. Well, I think. I think for Vegas in terms of control, I think it really speaks to not only how good their defense is, but how disciplined their defense is in their like and they they know their positions and they know how to like they know how and they to don't vary create much. turnovers without creating penalties. And I think yeah. And I don't think they vary much, which is which I, I think is a very big thing. They don't um I don't, I don't see much of a variance in the way they play. While most teams, there are times where you see a defense break down at a point or whatever, and I think they're very consistent defensively as well, which is always a huge thing. I mean, I mean, yeah, I, I, I agree it's only slightly because I think they're, they have the defensive pairings. They have a depth defensive pairings on the defensive end of the ice, but I think what's actually also helped them, and this is ironically enough, it, or interestingly enough, is – bringing in Alex Petrangelo in the off season, we're starting to see it pay off where he's that type of defenseman that he was hurt in the regular season. Didn't make much an impact on the defense on the defensive end of the ice as Vegas might've hoped over the course of the season, whereas Shea Theodore and Alec Martinez were the leading pairing and the great defensively, but in the playoffs, he's been 
playing as a playoff defenseman where he's making those plays on the defensive ends of the ice. And he's been that X factor for, uh, on the offensive end where he's, he's basically a forward on as a defenseman, which is uh, an added advantage. I, I guess like looking back, I mean, do you think that this game essentially ended the series? I, I do. Um, you think it, you think it, it's or, like Vegas so, in six or Vegas in seven, at least. I, like, I, I, I honestly, I don't see it going to seven. If it goes to seven, I think Avalanche will have a chance because I think they will have gripped victory from the jaws of defeat almost. Like, I don't see them winning game, even though these games have been close, most of them. I don't see them winning game six. It's hard for me to picture. Like, honestly, like I told you last week, yeah. After game one, I said, Flurry's going to start playing. The games will be closer. They're not giving up seven goals again. I'm not happening. Um, and I said, and I said, um, honestly, I was almost surprised because they almost won game two. Cause I didn't say that. I said, I thought it was going to be two zero. They'd get those couple extra days of rest in, in Vegas and they'd get to be home for two games. They'd win both games. They'd lose game five and win game six. And then it would be a very close game seven, but having stolen this game five, which is the thing I didn't see necessarily happening. Um, like when I saw the score two nothing, I was like, cause I didn't get to see part of the first period. So I saw the scores. I was like, okay, yeah. Kind of what I expected. Colorado to win and Vegas surprised me even more than I thought. Like I didn't think there was much they could surprise me with, honestly, because I didn't see them winning in Colorado in game five. And so now I'm like, I I see them. I, I think it's very hard for any team to beat them at home. That's my thing. I think they are a very, very, very good home team. Well, I mean, this series they played on it. They've played very much different if you like watching the games you could tell they they are in they're more in control of their games at home i mean i think part of that came from games like i think part of that came from game two uh game three and four them have having have had rest prior to that game three where they had played a tough game a tough series against minnesota and they didn't have much rest in between the minnesota and colorado while colorado did so they had faster legs but they got home they got to stay with their family for a couple days then they and they were in vegas for almost a week it was almost it was almost a week i think it was six days that they were in vegas because the two days off game day off game so it was five or six days that they were in Vegas. So, and so I think part of that was, yeah, they got to get home and get rest. So you saw much better playing games three and four because of that rest. And then they came out in game five and, you know, it's harder to play in an opponent's arena, especially with fans. And so they, that was very much, I think a, like a great thing, like a great thing for them was that rest. If it had been like the first round where there was only one day of rest in between every single game, I don't know if they could have come back from the not having rest. So um, I kind of agree that this series, that this game took the air out of the uh, series. Very similar, I think, to how Carolina like lost the series after game four when they kind of like lost, lost that, lead. that lead. I think so. Yeah, I think, I think. It's interesting because there are two teams that I picked to advance that are down three two in the series, and I think I think Colorado is going to 
they, I think they could actually force a game seven because this team hasn't lost four in a row. It's hard seeing in the big picture, this team losing four in a row. I mean, it's possible, but if they, if they do, I think then the story becomes they collapsed in a series that they should have at least controlled. But I don't see much. I see that's only the case. If you saw them the way I believe you saw them, the way you talked about them for the last several weeks was you saw them almost as an overwhelming favorite. And I mean, not overwhelming against Vegas. I think they, this was their series to lose and this is kind of their cup to lose, but I didn't, I, I didn't, and I know a bunch of people who didn't, who thought Vegas was the overall better team and going in, it was a matter of, okay, who has home ice advantage, whatever they tied with points and they Colorado had the icebreaker, but part of it is, is that they, is that Colorado when they're, it's like, especially which is this is the big part is when they're on the power play which they have this is part of why I credit Vegas for cutting down on the penal on the penalties because when Colorado was on the power play the way they're able to just effectively control a game and dismantle another team has been unstoppable basically unstoppable and Vegas knows that that's why they're cutting down on penalties so that and that's one that was one of the factors but I think overall in this series, I think game six is going to be is going to be another close game. It's going to come down to one of yeah. those few goals, so, or whatever. So just to point out I, last to finish the thought was, I don't think it can be called a collapse because they only lost one game by a high score, and they won one by a high score. Everything else, you've had two overtime games, one you won, one you lost, and you've had one other three two loss. And so while in previous years, partially. Grubauer had been hurt, but also in previous years, there have been elements of collapse where uh, Nathan McKinnon has gone quiet almost. Um, not well, as I mean, much last year. He has year, gone but, quiet. He hasn't yeah. scored since I think he hasn't scored since the beginning of the series. I think he scored in game two. Uh, yeah, but it's, it's been regardless. Three, the top line has been silent for the past three games. I also, I also think that you talk about a collapse. They had a two zero series lead, and it looked like their series. So. I, that's my thing. I can, I never consider losing when you're up 2-0, a collapse almost, unless you completely dominate utterly and completely both games. And then you get completely dominated the rest of the way. I don't think that's what happened. I thought, okay, teams play better at home. They won those games. Game one, they didn't play the right goalie. They were giving flurry a couple days off of rest, you know? And so I, I always saw this series being a 2-0, 2-2 series. From the very beginning, even before that 7-1 game, I saw Colorado going up to nothing, Vegas coming back to two. So I don't see that as a collapse. And those games were close, and I just think they're outmatched. I don't think it's they're the much better team and they collapsed. I think it was they're very close teams. Vegas has the edge, and they're playing. They have the edge in goaltending, and they've played very, very well and very controlled, like very controlled, not as in controlling the game, but as in um, disciplined, very disciplined. And so, like, that was my thing. I always saw them, Vegas, having to come back from a 2-0 lead in the series. I think that you mentioned the goaltending. I think that ultimately is what's going to decide the series. If this series goes seven, which is questionable, but well, or if this game eventually has a goaltending battle, which I don't think it has, and I think it will eventually, that's Flurry's advantage. And I think that 
that's a game that's going to go Vegas's way. Like, whether it be I a could one game. That's the thing. I could game. see game seven if a game seven happens, yeah. which honestly I don't think it will. Um, I think if game seven happens, you will almost have a much tighter game because game sevens are usually tight in the grand scheme of things, but also because I think there has been some air deflated out of Colorado's balloon um, in this game. And so if they can manage to pull an upset in Vegas, in that atmosphere, in that, whatever, that'll give them like a high almost. And it'll be, so I think it'll be a very tight game where both teams play very, very well offensively, but you have a very, very good goaltending game. And I think it will come down to a break going Florida, uh, Vegas's way, Um, beating Grubauer where where it's harder to beat Flurry. Yeah, and I mean, just overall, like, uh, if you have to to trust the two defenses, also you trust Vegas. So, I mean, it's interesting because the other team that's trailing two games, and I guess you could say it's more, I don't know if it's more realistic that they come back from their two-game deficit or not, but I don't the Bruins think so. are trailing, <laughs> I, the Bruins honestly, are trailing two games to the Islanders. I I kind of want to know where you think where you think this how do you think the Islanders took control of the series? Because I have a few like things that I'm thinking about that have like that have led them to win back to back games. They could potentially win three in a row, which I think is why I'm wondering if, if the Bruins are going to lose three games in a row to the Islanders. But the the Islanders took you gotta take into account they're in they're in they're playing in New York. Um, and they're so, playing game six in New York. So I want to know how you, how how do you think they took control of the series the way they did? Just basically flip the switch and they were trailing two to one in the series. It looked like Boston was going to basically uh, regain the momentum of the series. Especially, I mean, you would think maybe they'd win Game Five at home. They didn't do that. It, so yeah, I mean, where do you think they control? Where do you think the Islanders controlled the series? How do you think they so, turned the momentum? So I think I I picked the Islanders before the series started. Um, as well. Um, so here's where I thought it was going to go wrong for Boston and where I think it, or go right more so for, for, for the Islanders is they played their game, you know, game one. Yeah. They lost five, two, it happens, but like every other game was really, really close that they like they lost game three. They lost two, one in overtime. So I didn't think that gave like, I, if Boston had won game three the way they won game one, I think it would have been Boston's series. But it was a tight overtime game that they lost that the Islanders obviously felt we could have won that game. So they come back in game four in at home and they win. They're very good at home. They don't let up many goals at home. Their defense is amazing at home. It, there is I mean, they something. Played, they played two defensive games in those games. Yeah. Uh, so it's very, one sec. Let me, let me. Let me, sorry, let me just finish the thought here that like, so like it was two, one and four, one, they let up one goal in each of those games, or they let up two, one goal in regulation in each of those games. Um, they didn't get that, those, that scoring that they have been able to find throughout the playoffs in that game three, but they came back and were able to find it in games four and five. This game five is what surprised me. Honestly, the way I saw it processing, um, like I, I think I told you I thought they would win all three games at home and force a game seven. And so when they lost that game two, 
I was like, okay, there's hope because they didn't lose it badly and it was game three and not game four. If they had won game three and lost game four, I think it would have given a different fuel to game five. But it was very close and then they won game four. And so winning game five in Boston, um, but it was a much higher scoring game. I think we'll see another very low scoring game, 2-1, 3-2 at the most in game six. And while I would pick Tuka Rask overall goaltending, I would handily pick the Islanders' defense, like defensive play, not their just their yeah. defensive players, but overall team defensive play. And so, and on home ice, they're very good defensively. And so I see them winning this series. However, if Boston can pull game six. It is interesting. Uh, you mentioned the uh, recent game five being almost an outlier is this is the last power play mentioned, by the way, Islanders scored three power play goals. And I actually just, I just wrote an article about the power play, why they've been so effective, especially in that game is they, that was the game where you saw the top line was able to step up and basically make some of those key plays. I think Barzell scored a top line, uh, scored a power play goal. Jordan Eberle scored a power play goal. Those are two of the uh, three power play goals that they scored. Eberle, Paul Mary, and Barzell were the three power play goals. Yeah. And it's interesting. uh, There's a few things that I've been taking away from the past few games. And that game particularly is the power play controlled the game. And additionally, the top line, which struggled in the first two games of this series and had or even three, well, not three, but because Barzell scored the one goal for the Islanders on granted, it was a gritty goal that he kind of like poked in behind Rask, but the top line struggled in the Penguin series in the first round series and it struggled in the first two games and finally is stepping up at the ideal time, which is right now. And you need that top line presence, which helps the rest of the scoring so- I don't think their top line has been bad. Like it seems, I just think it hasn't been the star of the show. Um, And I think it was, it didn't score in the, in the, it didn't score in the penguin series. Only Jordan Eberle scored two goals in that series. Barzell scored in the, in that series, I believe in the penguin series. He didn't I think he had, he, he had one goal tonight and he had one goal in the other game in this series. I think, and he had one other in, in this series against the Bruins, he scored three goals. He scored. I thought it was, Oh, in the the last game. But, Uh, I don't think just because they haven't scored, I don't think they've played badly. And that's my thing is well, they, they, they didn't defense. And it wasn't even that they've also played good offense. They just haven't gotten the goals, which happens, but their second line and their depth where that was my question going in, not necessarily the top line. It was some of that depth, like the players they traded for at the deadline hadn't looked good going into the playoffs. And they looked like they belonged once they got into the playoffs like that, it looked almost as if the line solidified almost like it was in flux. Yeah. It was, it, it was moving short as opposed to most seasons. It was a much shorter period post post trade deadline. So there was more flux, more figuring it out. And I think everyone, everyone underestimated the Islanders going into the playoffs because they fell to that four spot. They were at number one or tied for number one, the majority of the season in that division 
And so I think that's where a lot of it comes from. People see, oh, they became number four. They fell off towards the end of the season. And like, I didn't, and I picked Pittsburgh to win that series, but I very much thought it could have gone the Islanders way and it did. And then I picked the Islanders to beat Boston. And so like, I, I had more faith in what they could be almost, almost is the way I felt it because their defense is amazing. Um, like it's so good. I mean, it is smother it. good. It's part of it is their defense is playing well. I think it's interesting is that there was reason is that there was legitimate reason for concern considering that since Anders Lee went down, they had failed. Their offense had struggled on all levels. Bringing Kyle Palmieri, ironically, not only has he gotten hot at the right time, but him and Josh Bailey are the two leading goal scorers for the Islanders in the Stanley yeah, Cup playoffs I think, so far. I think they found their place after a while and it was, okay, we've got it. We're solidifying it. We're, we're messing with it. I we're mean, figuring out chemistry. We're figuring out whatever. There, there is a second part though. I think this is actually another part where I say coaching is very valuable or particularly scouting is in the, in the series against the Penguins, Tristan Jari is a good goaltender. They, they, with their scouting, they said, wait, he's not going to make those glove side saves. And they just kept going after the glove side throughout the series. They just kept taking shots to the glove side, daring Jari to make those saves. And a lot of those goals were on, were just with shots on the glove side. This series against Tuka Rask, particularly in the recent game, this is something that I've noticed. They've, they've decided they realized that Rask struggles on the top shelf. We mentioned Vasilevsky basically struggling in the lower half, uh, or that's his weakness, if you will. Tuka Rask has struggled with the top shelf shot, and particularly in the recent game where they scored three of their four goals to the top shelf, uh, they threw three of the four goals on Rask because Rask got scratched for the fifth and final goal. And they've basically found out, wait, we can we can keep going top shelf on him and he's gonna he's gonna struggle with these that's another thing so i think the islander and this is not just a a um a barry trotz thing by the way the last couple years barry trotz is a amazing coach and the fact that he hasn't won a coach of the year in the last couple years i think he won the islanders last year i don't think did the jack adam i think so the first time that he was there. It might have been John Cooper. I'll have to double check that. Uh, but, between, but he, he, I think he might have. But the big I think thing he's is very he underrated. I think he's very underrated. And but it's not I mean, just him. That whole coaching staff is very good because it can't just yeah, be the one guy. This might be the best coached. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll admit the Islanders might be the best coached team, one of the best coached teams in the in the in the NHL. I think someone actually said this. On, on the note of Barry Trotz, that Barry Trotz was the best acquisition in the past three seasons. By the Islanders. The, the Islanders acquiring Barry Trotz is the best acquisition that any team has made in the past three years. And it, there is a legitimate argument for it, considering how he's transformed this team into yeah, this a team, legitimate cup contender. And it's not just that. This team was not a defensive you know, behemoth yeah. before. And Barry Trotz is known for very good defense, but he's not particularly known for this good of a defense. And I think part of that comes in. He's very good. He's very good at 
forward defense. He's very good at teams going into teams and helping their forwards play better defense. Yeah, like the four check playing yeah. well in the four check. Yeah. Check and just in general. But where I think they're over the top is their their defensive coach, their defensive coordinator, if you will, is also outstanding. Um, I don't know how long they'll be able to keep keep this coaching staff together. Um, yeah, like you know what I mean. It's it's almost like a yeah, someone's gonna get taken <laughs> kind of thing. I mean, and it, so yeah, it, it's interesting. I mean, moreover, is how long can you? Because they have to. It's hard to deny that they have the talent on the defensive end too. How long can you keep this group? of Adam Pellick, Ryan Pollock, Scott Mayfield, Nicoletti. May, Lick Nicoletti might not be part of the bigger picture moving forward, but Noah Dobson, who's younger, who will eventually require a, in a few years a bigger contract. But that's that's all later in the year. So, but I wonder how long you could keep a talented defensive group together with a well-coached defensive coach to get so, together. So that's the thing. That. Something – it's the thing that happens when you have a great coach team, eventually you lose a coach. If you have a good coach team and good players, sometimes coaches go overlooked. I think people like fans overlook their coaching staff as a whole. A lot of them attributed all the Barry trots, but I don't think it is. I think it was also, he's very good at bringing in very good, uh, very good coaches as well, like sub coaches. And so, but I don't, that's the thing. If they lose players, but not coaches, I don't see it as that big of a deal because they'll have Anders Lee back and they have some young guys in the whatever who can move up. I, I think it's, I think the bigger issue they'd be concerned with would be the, the loss of a coach almost. Um, uh, well, I mean, yeah, but the thing is though with Barry Trotz is that he he's the head coach to bring in someone who he's, He's comfortable who he's with, also comfortable with. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I can't tell you I mean, for sure yeah, how once, I think that's going. Once you have trots there, it's like the job becomes easier. I don't think they're going to let trots go uh, like the Capitals did. I think they're just going to keep trots. We're going to keep them till the wheels fall off that bus. Yeah. Um, and I mean, so they haven't had a good coach. They haven't had a coach like as good in maybe you could even go back to, I mean, people like a lot of, it's a classic thing that a lot of people like to compare Barry Trotz to Al Arbor and Lula Morello to uh, uh, the executive at the time that you can't compare them yet. Not a, not even close. Like you have to win at least a cup to, till you start entering these great conversations, but well, Barry, Barry Trotz, Trotz has is, won a cup. Um, well, I mean, with the Islanders, that's the thing. Yeah. He hasn't won yet with the Islanders. He's, yeah. he's, he's transformed this team and that's, and that's and, really what's and so the thing is I think honestly if I thought Anders if Anders Lee was on this team right now with who they have I would call I would say they 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 might win the cup honestly well, I mean, how they they're playing they would have finished with the best record I think in the East it's hard to deny that probably I, I don't know because they also had they were starting to have a little struggles before Anders Lee injury but I, I well, do they were agree on a winning streak when he got hurt ironically. But no, so I um no, so I, I agree. I think so I, I think if they can keep Paul Mary and to a lesser degree Bailey, um, I I believe to a lesser degree. Um yeah. I think they could have a very good because then they'll have a little bit more depth scoring, I think, and Barzell, you know, he's not been great, but I think his offense has been good. He just hasn't gotten those goals. 
And so I think next year, if they don't do it this year, which I think is a possibility with how good their team defense is, I yeah. think it is possible for them to beat anyone. I think if they play the lightning, which I think they, they're poised to play the lightning if they advance, this isn't going to be a rerun of last season. Like, I think it's going to actually be a very intense series yeah. and someone's going to have to claw their way. And I mentioned, this is what's interesting. I mentioned the coaching staff, the Intel that they've, figured out rat they figured out a weakness in rask they figured out a weakness in jari they're going and everyone to, knows that weakness in vasilevsky like teams know it to, it's hard to exploit but i think they have yeah. a team built to be able to exploit that because I mean, you've seen well coached team in the sense yeah. they can get those shots and you've also you've also saw this a lot in the pittsburgh series not not against a goalie by any means of the word it's capable but they got a lot of those those tip-in goals those, you know, those redirection goals, especially in the Pittsburgh series, a lot of redirection goals, a lot of tip-in goals, a lot of dirty goals, and that's how you beat Vasilevsky. Um, uh, so it, it's how Barry Trotz beat him in 2018, how Barry Trotz led the Capitals to beat him in 2018 was that kind of play. And so I, I very much think they have the capability yeah. to beat them. The question is, how overwhelming is Colorado or Vegas or whoever comes out of that um, that side I mean, of the bracket? That's really, that's really projecting, I guess. I yeah. Mean, it, I guess like, yeah, looking forward in the big picture of that. But I mean, yeah, it's going to be, I, I mean, that's a matchup. If the Islanders close this out, which I mean, I would lean towards they could do it. I, I think if the, I think one of the things is if the Bruins can uh, play more aggressively in the offensive zone, I think they make this more more interesting series i don't i don't see it happening but i think it's going to be it would be an interesting series islander the islanders was lightning seeing how they've learned from the past season what they've picked up and how so, they can really give so them it's fun series. so it's funny about about them uh what i at least what i personally find funny is they're not a very entertaining team <laughs> The Islanders? They're, they're really not. They're not fun think, to watch. I mean, if they played <laughs> Vegas, if they played Vegas in the uh in the oh. Stanley Cup final, it would be the two of the top three scoring uh goals against average defenses in the sense like goals per game. Two of the top three in the NHL like, would be playing each other. Yeah, but like Vegas is a fun team because they also have an explosive fun offense. <laughs> the Islanders. They're kind of boring. They get the job done. So it's funny. It's like, do I want to see them in the cup? Not really. Because I don't think it'll be as entertaining as seeing the lightning, as seeing the high powered lightning face off yeah. against who I believe Vegas, honestly. But I, I don't know. I can see the Islanders beating, beating them, beating the lightning this year. Oh. And so it's... I was going through cup cup possibilities, I guess, like we were kind of wrap this up a bit, but like one of them is mentioned the, the, the worst Lightning would Vegas. be the Canadians Islanders. That would be so boring. Well, I think Canadians, someone mentioned Canadians lightning. And I was like, that's Vasilevsky versus Carey price. Yeah. Or, <laughs> and like Vasilevsky versus Marc-Andre Fleur would be it. I mean, there's all these possibilities that you kind of can put and see, think but of like, that's titles. the thing. I don't, I see, that's my thing. I don't have Vasilevsky in that tier with them. 
I have Vasilevsky closer to Philip Grubauer's tier. Not in Philip Grubauer's tier. I definitely think he's mm-hmm. better. But I think he is closer to Philip Grubauer than he is to Price or Flurry. Um, I mean, I can't – I mean, not only the stats that can't agree, but, like, when – I mean, just besides for the the Vesna Trophy finalists that he's been – the finalist, I think, every season the past but his playoff, but his playoff performance is is where the differentiation is for me. And his playoff performance is not nearly as good as a flurry or price in their careers. And that that's my thing. I I he had a great year last year and his team was so good offensively for the games he didn't play out games he didn't play outstanding were covered by them. And so that's the thing. I, I, I don't put him in their tier. And so, but like, first of all, another thing to point out on the Islanders is last year when they played, um, when they played the lightning, what, I don't know, was it the Eastern conference final last year that they played the lightning or was it the round before? Yeah. It was the Eastern conference final. Their goaltender didn't play nearly as well. He's been playing very well, uh, this playoffs. Um, you're talking about Semyon Varlamov your time. Yeah. Particularly. Yeah. It's also interesting. I mean, you talk about that and last time they had Thomas they Grace also, and Semyon Varlamov. But now they, they also – yeah, but now they have a better secondary goalie in – Yeah, Sorokin's – Sorokin. It's hard to deny. Sorokin's yeah. better than whatever. And so when Varlamov needs a night off because he is older or whatever, you have a goalie who who can win those games. And so I think I think they that's an that's a factor that has to be considered when they – with the rematch with, with – the lightning if that happens yeah. um so yeah so i don't and know it's also a better it's a better islanders team i think overall yeah, yeah. i'll i'll be missing um i'll be missing anders lee but their defense is bad their defensive players is better their team defense is you know good as it is but um their defense they have they show fewer cracks in that like last year was almost they have really, really good team defense, but every now and again, they'd have a crack um, almost. They, they'd they have a period or a, a span of a couple minutes where where they weren't as good. This year, I think it's more, they're more consistently that smothering team, especially at home. Um, and so that's honestly where I think their biggest weakness might come in is their how different a team they are almost away from home. Um, they have managed throughout these playoffs to get those wins, but you can see a marked difference in how they play. Um, I mean, also just to see how teams, how these teams like adjust to adjust their defense and how they play against them, which I think is kind of interesting because other, because the Islanders in the first two, in these two series, like they have potential to win three games in a row against the Bruins. They won three in a row. They won three games in a row against the Penguins team that I don't think lost three games in a row the entire season. They make the adjustments and then they went, they, they uh, throughout the series that have given them that advantage. And I think it's going to be interesting to see who, which team adjusts if the, if the Islanders were advanced or just overall in general, these adjustments, in these series in in the Stanley Cup playoffs that these coaches are going to have to make because that's where the series gets won it's it's a seven game series and not a uh and not a 
three and game not a three whatever not a one game three game you know kind of thing yeah um so here so i i've essentially said my predictions for the remaining series i think the islanders are going to win i think they win this game six um and i think vegas wins game six i think both games come to an end with game six um what are your thoughts on that because i don't know if you've actually said if you think you've said probabilities but like who do you actually think is going to win these series in the end so I mean, I say that Vegas and seven is what I'm thinking. I think the Avalanche are gonna come back, come back firing potentially with their best perform performance of the series in the next game. In terms of the the Bruins series, I still, I mean, it's hard. It, it's easier to win one game than just to win two. I I'm intrigued to find out how game six plays out as much as I, 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 cause I still see a possibility, a very strong possibility for them to win back-to-back games because game seven in Boston, if Rask is, is able to find his groove again, Rask versus Varlamov, I think you can actually give the edge to Rask in that. If he's found his groove again. I, I did say overall, I would give the edge to Rask goaltending, but I, I also said I believe the overall defense is much better in yeah. in, in for so, the Islanders. I mean, the two big things, the two big things to find for me. But are, do you actually think they're going to do it? No. So, I I think I think the Islanders. It's very. I think the Islanders are pretty much going to close out. Will close out games like six if they don't i think i mean if they don't it's i think the bruins are gonna win the series but that's what the big I, that's what to, i said i think if they lose game six there's a good chance boston yeah. wins the series i think the big thing for Bru- the bruins is one being aggressive in the offensive zone forcing the islanders to make it difficult to t- take turnover and turn it into offense which is what they've done They're- in the past three games and then the other note is they're back into struggled a lot in this series. They're going to have to, they're going to have to play a very high risk game, game six, I feel. Well, because I mean, it's, it's game it's, seven, the they is, wouldn't need to, but I think in game six, they would need to play a very high risk game. The irony is they've controlled, the, the Bruins have controlled this series when they play aggressively in the offensive zone because the Islanders have a difficult time converting turnovers into offensive opportunities, but also the Bruins defense is a speed-based defense, which basically makes up for the fact that you could play aggressively and make those turnovers. So I, I find it interesting that they haven't played as aggressive as you would, as, as they, as they should be, because that's been their strengths. I I think that's a hard thing to say because I think, when we talk about aggressive, it's a style of play, but it's also a style of play that your opponent has to let you play almost like with a team like the Islanders, because of how good they are in the neutral zone and how, whatever it is hard for Boston to play a very aggressive game um, offensively. That's why I think it will be, it's not not necessarily, necessarily, it's not offensively as much as even when a turnover is created just to try to create a turnover in the offensive zone, which I think ironic, which I think oddly enough, Brad Marchand uh, created one of those turnovers in game five, which set up the first goal of the game where they were aggressive in that is even after not, it wasn't necessarily a chip and chase, but when the puck is basically loose or along the boards, they keep, they keep so, making trying to yeah. make those plays. So that to... was my thing. That that's where I think it is. And I wouldn't necessarily call it aggressive. I would say they if a puck is on the board, 
let's say, because this is a thing you see with a lot of teams when the puck is, let's say, two thirds of the way through the defensive zone, like, all, like a third of a way to the blue line to get out of the zone. You're saying by the face-off circles, basically. No, no, a little past the face-off circles. You will oftentimes see the defenders pull back and almost, and this is the thing I hate always in hockey, but it's a, it's smart play. It's just frustrating play. Um, I think you will need to have more risk more often those one of those defenders coming up and trying to get those pucks um and risking the 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 breakaways i think you've got i think they have to play a very high risk because to break down the islanders overall team defense you're going to need something like that you're going to need a defender pulling up getting that puck as it's on the board or coming out around the board yeah, not just getting it right by the blue line, but actually getting it, you know, a couple feet from the from the I think, from the point or whatever, because then you've got more offensive offense there than the Islanders have defense, and it gives you a tiny mini moment of yeah of, of odd odd numbers in the tighter in space, and I think that's how they're going to have to play. But the Islanders against Pittsburgh, they played very well uh, against that towards the end of that series. They were able to take advantage of those. And so that's the thing they're going to have to, I feel they're going to have to play a very high risk because if they don't start doing that, the Islanders will just smother them. I feel like, I mean, they're, yeah, I think they're going to play more aggressively. That's what, and that's, that's going to be, it's going to be interesting to watch because that, uh, I guess that's, that's really all. Uh, I mean, that's the time we have for this week, I guess. Right. Uh, yep. I mean, any, any other, I mean, it's going to be exciting to watch these next few games because I mean, what one of these series might go seven. I mean, it could be likely. They it both could close be. Out. Honestly, the odds are in favor of one of these going seven, not because yeah. I personally believe that just because historically the odds are in one of these two series going seven. And honestly, I would believe the more likely of the two to go seven is Colorado Vegas. Um, just because style of play, like even though I think Vegas is a very good home team, their style is more prone yeah. to to whatever. While the Islanders at home, it's literally wet blanket. Um, and so I, so I think it's more likely. I don't see either of them going to seven. But also the thing is, if it's the Vegas Colorado series that goes to seven, I still see Vegas winning. But if it is the Bruins Islanders that go to seven, I could see the Bruins pulling that off. Um, but right now at this point, I, I see the Vegas Vegas winning this series at like 80%. Like, I mean, are very, very good odds, I guess. I, yeah. And, I mean, the, the but they're, we're going to see, I think, very close games, very yes. entertaining games. I, th- I think they will be very good games. I, I just, yeah. I think in the end, they will break the Islanders and the Vegas's way. But that's all I've got for. Yeah. All right. Time. So, yeah, thank you for uh, listening. Uh, hope you enjoyed. Uh, thank, uh, thank you very much.